about. So the last couple of weeks we've been kind of diving into the character of God um, in two major categories. One, the first, how does God different from us? Um, and then there we looked at his independence or self-existence, his unchangeableness, his eternal character, his omnipresence, and um, his unity or, or um, the simplicity of God or how he's not composed of parts. We also explored there um, how we're different in, in all regards to these things, how that we're solely dependent on him, how we change each and every day, how instead of being uh, eternal or always having been even prior to time, how we are created um, and we we have a beginning where God does not, and how um, how we also uh, are not everywhere in in all places at all times, but we're limited. Um, and and I think from that, like when I think about that limited, I think that that should help us to focus because we're not going to be everywhere at all times, and it, and and it should be something that when we consider that God's placed us here, right? Like God's placed us here where we are today. Um, in space and time. Last week we looked at how God's like like us. We looked at a couple of major categories as being, um, His mental attributes, His moral attributes, His attributes of purpose, and His attributes of perfection. And today I want us to kind of thinking about those two broad categories, how God's different from us and how God's like us. I want us to think about uh, how the church has kind of historically looked at these things. Um, I want to go ahead before we get started in this exploration, and I want to tell you that that by and large, if as we kind of survey the major the major um, eras in church history, early church, kind of medieval or or established church, the post Reformation church, and the modern era, like as we consider the way that the church has uh, looked at the character of God, what we're going to find, like in a lot of places, when we look through church history, what we're going to find is is that at the Reformation, there are some major categories in which we as Protestants differ from from our uh, from the Catholic Church in some very significant ways, right? So a lot of our efforts in digging through church history, we're going to really see, like at that point in time when the Reformation took place, there's some significant key events or key ideas that we want to explore those differences. As we're looking at the character of God, though, what we're going to find is that by and large, through the Reformation, there was no major disagreement when it comes to the character of God, right? Um, and I think that's I think that's an important thing to I think that's an important thing to consider. And I want to think now as well, like as we like so as we look at this, like one of the places that I want us to focus on is the modern era as it as it constitutes the ideas about the character of God, because I think there's a couple of key places. Um, in which kind of as we as we press into the modern era of which we are a part that there's some things some particular dangers that I want us to avoid um, specifically where we we tend to have this we tend to have this there's a tendency towards elevating certain of God's attributes over other attributes of God right like an example of this, and I want to I want to read something from the historical theology book that we're that we're digging through here to highlight this particular this particular idea. But I want to kind of set the stage 
a little bit with, with kind of posing this thought or this question. Like, how many of you, either you have, you do, or you know of someone who does, um, think about the God of the Old Testament as being different than the God of the New Testament? Right? Like, how many of you, when you've, when you've reflected on the character of God, look at God differently in the Old Testament as you do in the New Testament? How many have done that, at least, at some point in the past? Right? Probably a large majority um, have, have done that. I would say that we're in error when we do that, right? Um, how many, uh, we probably, if, we, if we've all done it, then clearly we all know of someone who's done that or who may currently be there. Like, what is the danger there? What is the risk there? Why is it that we think like that? It's something that I want us to consider a little bit this morning. Because here's the, here's the reality. Like, think about it, think about it like this. Like, as Jesus is in the New Testament, like, we see him talking about God. If God were different from old to new, would not we expect Christ to highlight those differences in God's character, right? Or those places in which God has in some way changed His mind, right? But, but here's, here's, what, here's what's crazy is that what we see, look into the New Testament. See if you find Jesus and the Jews ever disputing significant portions of the character of God, right? Like where they're like, we're going to dig into this and you, you know, like God's not like this or God's not like this. By and large, the church inherited its view on the character of God from the Jews, right? So like that's what like as we kind of as we kind of dig into this uh, study of the of the history of the the way the church has viewed the uh, the the character of God. I'm going to read a couple of just like I'm going to go. Um, and there's two things that I just want to read. This is kind of the statement of belief in the opening chapter, chapter 10 of the historical theology book <clears throat> that I'd mentioned to y'all. I, I mention it <clears throat> quite frequently. Um, so it opens like this. It says, The church is historically sought to understand what God is like by studying and meditating on His attributes. They've, these have included His independence, His immutability or unchangeableness, His uh, in infinity with respect to time or eternity, um, infinity with respect to space, His omnipresence, God is present everywhere, His unity or simplicity, His spirituality and visibility, knowledge, His omniscience, God is all-knowing, His wisdom, His truthfulness and faithfulness, uh, goodness, love, mercy, grace, patience, holiness, peace, <clears throat> righteousness, justice, jealousy, wrath, Will, freedom, power, sovereignty, omnipotence. God is all-powerful, perfection, blessedness, beauty, and glory. The early church, now this is, I'm kind of skipping ahead of a few pages if you were to be following along in that book. Um, and, and here the excerpt reads like this. The early church inherited, inherited its concept of God from its Jewish roots. At no point in the New Testament do we find Jesus and the apostles engaging in lengthy descriptions of God or details, ex, detailed explanations of what He is like. The assumption was, was that both Jews and Gentiles, at least those who had embraced the Christian faith, were familiar with the attributes of God. So consider that as you, as, as you 
as you consider like the transition from Old Testament to New Testament, and you consider why is it if they didn't make a big differentiation, right? Like if we don't find like these long like runs of text where Christ is going into the differences between the God of the Old Testament and the God revealed in the New Testament, why then do we find ourselves and and when I ask that question, who everybody raised their hand, right? So, like, why is it, why, why do you think that when you consider the God of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament, why do you consider that you think of them as being different or there being some change that took place? Because, and I, I want you to answer me back to this, and I want, I want you to consider that when we, when we answer that question, we're speaking to our understanding of the character of God in the Old and the New. This God who's character does not change, why is it then that we think that it does, or that we, that we um, when we consider it ourselves, so many of us have fallen into this place where we consider that something changed in God between the old and the new. Yeah. Okay, so when you think, so I want to, so let's, yeah, so let's dig into this. You know, when you dig into it, yeah. When you dig into God's word, you find out it's totally different. The wrath of God in the Old Testament. Okay. Okay. Do you though? Right. Like I want to ask you that question. Like, do you? Is we we do right now? I want to go ahead and say like if I were to say like give me one word that described the God of the Old Testament, what word would you give me? Most likely wrath. Most likely wrath. Right. Okay, but still, right? Like, why is it that we we do like that? Like when when I hear wrath, that is the common. Like, if you think about what's different between, like, if you were to ask the average churchgoer what's different, and I, right, like, even just posing it like the character of God changes when I say what's different about God there, um, we know that He's not changing in His character. But if you were to ask somebody what's different between the God of the Old and the God of the New, they're going to say, man, was He wrathful, right? In the Old Testament. Like, you'll hear it so often that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath, but the God of the New Testament is a God of what? Love. And yet, and yet, the God of the New Testament, follow me here. And because I want us to ask, how do we ever come to that conclusion? And yet, the God of the New Testament, the God of love, 
His son is executed on a cross. Right? Whose wrath is poured out on Christ? Who's, in, where do we see most clearly the wrath of God? At the cross. Which finds itself where? In the New Testament. Right? So like, and this is why I say like, but we do that now, right? We like we have that idea, and I don't like I, I, one of the reasons that I wanted to to spend kind of a focus on this is because that's the case. Like when you think about when people talk about like like like, and this is what what I would call like like where we spend where we spend much time on one, much emphasis on one character or attribute of God while neglecting fully other attributes of God. Like we look at the cross and we see there's a God of love, right? And then we'll, we'll highlight that portion of the cross to the end of time, but we neglect that the wrath of God was poured out at the cross, right? So like these would appear to be two opposites, Two polar extremes, right? Like a God of wrath versus a God of love. And yet we find the most critical point in history that when we examine it completely, that we don't see a, neg- a negation of the, of the God of wrath for the exaltation of the God of love, right? Like we see the just and the justifier in one moment, right? Like we see all of His, all of his character clearly there. Right, so like when we like, so I, I, I point that out. I point that out because I think there's a great danger that happens when we only focus or when we focus too heavily on one part of God, as though it's somehow a a greater contributor to to His actions than other parts. Right, because if here's the thing if God were a God of love and not a God of justice and not a God of wrath then he would have came up with a better option than the cross right like the cross is like if you want to see the character of God on display most fully most nuanced explore the cross and what took place there right like go back and dig into Romans as Paul's kind of navigating those waters about what it meant for us to be sinful and separated and what it meant for Christ to to sacrifice his holy life on the cross like explore those things because in that you don't get a shallow view of love right and that's a, that's one of the dangers is when you when you oh, like when you focus 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 on one particular thing while leaving all the others to the side, there's a great danger that, that what you call love is somehow less deep than what it actually is. Right? right? So and that's what and, and, and like as I as I examine like the way that the church throughout history has explored the character of God and, and, and like I mentioned kind of at the beginning of class, like, like that through the Reformation, the ideas about God were not shallow, like, and they were, there were not major disagreements. There were some places where like people were like exploring ideas, like this has happened from, from the time of, of Christ's, uh, from, from the time of Christ's, uh, ascension throughout the entirety of the church, there's always been discussions and digging in about particular things and heresies will come up throughout. Like that's that's just a part of life as 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 it were with like the church and how the church but but there's never been 
in my opinion, there's never been, as there is today, such a setting aside to, to the point that, right? Like, like, follow me here. To the point that when I ask in a church building, who would differentiate God as character being different in the old and the new, that all of us have at some point done that. Right? What that means is, is that sometime between when we're looking at the writings of, of, of and, and I'm going to read a couple, uh, kind of as the churches, um, as the churches press through, there's been different, um, there's been different men who, who have written and, and, and we can see certain things, um, so I want to read it. I want to read a couple of them, uh, just for the sake of us realizing, because I think we kind of live in a society because we have so much knowledge at our disposal that we tend to think of ourselves as smarter than every generation that's come before us, right? Like that they didn't know how to think, and we know how to think now. Um, so I want to read some of the some of the things that are kind of brought out by some of these men, kind of throughout church history, and up to the point that we start seeing like these. Uh, the confessions of the church start being formed and, and, and how like well thought out they are um, and then we'll consider like how shallow it seems some of our some of our thoughts about God have become uh, kind of in this in this modern age so um, in the early church there was somebody um, uh, named Origen and this is this is something that that so I'm just going to read kind of this excerpt from uh, from the book. So Origen warned not to take the unlimited ability of God too far, otherwise one could end up affirming absurd things about him. Um, so like as Origen's considering what it means for God to be kind of all powerful, like what does it mean to be all powerful? Does it mean that you can do all things? Like can you can God do anything? Can he? Can he? <laughs> right? Can God lie? Because that's a thing to do, right? Can he lie? Can he lie? No. Can he change? No. So I'm going to ask the question again. Can, do, can God do anything? He can't, he can't do anything that would be against his character. Right? So, but doesn't the Bible say <laughs> that with God all things are possible? Doesn't it? So, so here's yeah, and I think I think what we have to do as well is we have to realize that context is important, right? Like that when one, when Scripture says something, it's not saying it in isolation. Right? So like it when when if I say that God can do all things, that's a true statement so long as we realize, right? So long as we realize that when I say all things, I'm not including certain things, right? Like that I'm not saying that God can lie, right? I'm saying that all things that are not against like we put in an asterisk, right? Like that are not against the character of God, that are possible period because there are certain things that are just not possible. Right? Not logically possible. Right? Like, you can't draw me a square circle. Right? Those two things are mutually exclusive in their being. Right? Squares are not circles. Circles are not squares. So, so, so for me to say 
like I saw a square circle, would be an illogical statement, right? And because God is a God who's logical, right? Logic flows from His mind to us, then of course He couldn't make a square circle because it's logically impossible and that would be going against His character, right? So like... There, there are things like that, and this is what this is what he's saying here, and and and, and this is I want to kind of point this out uh, because I think it's important to realize that hey, there are there are there have been people thinking deeply about who God is for generations and generations. So he says this: God, um, God can do everything which is possible for Him to do without ceasing to be God and good and wise. So neither is God able to commit wickedness for the power of doing evil is contrary to his deity and his omnipotence. Thus we do not back ourselves into a most absurd corner saying that with God all things are possible. Right? So like, do you see how he, considering that, considering that scripture, considering the whole of scripture came up with this? came up with this idea. So when, when I'm saying these things, right? Like when I'm putting forth these ideas, do you think that I'm making these things up? Right? Do you think like when 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 I'm saying that that God can do anything except for deny his character, do you think that Landon was sitting in his in his room alone one day and just thought that up? How did I come up with that? I read. Right? I read God's word, I read what other men have said, and then when those things align, I'm like, that makes total sense. The Holy Spirit says, This is true about me. Right? So, like, it's important for us to spend time considering um, those, those things that others have said about him. So, Augustine writes something really, really good, and it's a, it's a little bit of a long run. Um, so, this is, what, this is what, he, what he says about the attributes of God. Most high, most... And I want you to think about... I want you to think, these were old men, right? Like, long dead. Right, long dead. As I read this, I'm like, how eloquent is this? Right, like how intelligent must he have been? How well must he have thought about these things to write to write this down? So this is, yes, yes. Like I read, it, I'm like, he's been with Jesus, right? Like this is some this is some good stuff. So this is what he says: most high, most excellent, most powerful, most all powerful, most compassionate and most just, most hidden and most near, most beautiful and most strong and stable, yet not contained, unchangeable yet changing all things, never new, never old, making all things new, yet bringing old age upon the proud, always working, yet ever at rest, gathering, yet needing nothing, sustaining, pervading and protecting, creating, nourishing and developing, seeking and yet possessing all things, you love, but you do not burn with passion. You are jealous, yet free from worry. You repent, but have no regrets. You are angry, yet peaceful. You change your ways, but you leave your plans unchanged. You recover what you find, having yet never lost it in the first place. You never need anything, but you rejoice in gain. You do not covet, yet you require ushery. Your stewards in return uh, to return interest to you in order that you may owe more than enough is given to you yet who is anything that is not already yours you pay off debts while owing nothing and when you forgive debts you lose nothing this comes from Augustine you can find this in uh, his in the conf- in his confessions um, so like as I, as I read that that is a deep reflection on 
the character of God. Um, so another uh, another really old dead guy, uh, Anselm, speaking on the divine foreknowledge and human free, speaking about divine foreknowledge and human and and the fact that that it's compatible with human freedom. So so old people have been thinking about the 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 foreknowledge of God or the, the, the plan of God and the freedom of men long before we came along. So there's value in us reflecting on what they say. Um, so um, speaking to both and affirming both, he says this, if something um, is going to occur freely, God who foreknows all that shall be foreknows this very fact and whatever God foreknows shall necessarily happen in the way for which it is foreknown. So it is necessary that it shall happen freely, and there is therefore no conflict whatsoever between a foreknowledge which entails a necessary occurrence and a free exercise of an uncoerced will. For both, for it is both necessary that God foreknows what shall come to be, and that God foreknows that something shall freely come to be. Now as I consider that, as I think about that, I have to read that like five, six, seven, eight hundred times because I think like how intelligent how well thought out are this man's thoughts and how shallow at many times are my own right like when you hear that realize that this was not someone who went eight years to Harvard right this was this was Anselm like these are well studied these are well studied men clearly from what we from what we read. But their education and their laws pale in comparison to what you would consider someone who's well studied today, right? And yet what we find is that when we read this, we're like, that's so far above what I could comprehend, right? And yet what we have at our disposal so overshadows the means by which they had to come about their information or their understanding that it is a shame on us that we are so shallow in our thinking. Well, right? And, and to me, when I think about Absolutely. Absolutely. They they spent time thinking. They weren't swiping for eight, nine, ten hours on their phone just burning time, right? Like they spent time thinking. And it's evident in the way that we can, that we see them right, right? Like it yes, yes. So here's the Westminster Confession uh Confession of Faith. Um speaking um, speaking on kind of the, the character of God here, there is but one, and again, like as you consider this, consider how well thought out this is. So this is what it says. There is but, but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfections and com- a completely pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most 
free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, patient, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of those who diligently seek him, and with all he is holy, just, and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. So like this like like as we consider like the 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 thought that's gone into those things and I consider like what would be the reason that we would get to where we are uh today like in our understanding or our shallow understandings like what's caused that and I, and I think that one one of those things is is that we that we don't think deeply or we 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 are very um like, like we're very scattered in where we place our attention, right? Like we have, we have a, a set amount of attention and we choose to disperse that attention so thin on what we could know that we know little about anything, right? Or like, so, so like, we'll like, instead of, instead of like thinking deeply about particular things, we'll take the shallow answer because that allows me to move on to the next thing instead of pressing in, pressing in deeper. And I think that that's a real danger that we face today. I think that, that, I think that we do a very bad job in general of thinking deeply on things, right? Because I can, like, if I were to ask you to square root of some ridiculously large number, like, you, you could pull your phone out and you could, like, Siri, what's the square root of? And then, boom, it's there. You don't have to work for that, right? And that's, that's, that's good. Like, that might have wasted your time to do that particular task, but we can do that with everything, right? Like, we can do that with everything. So we'll do that and we become... Like, we become really good at, at pulling random information, really bad at digging for, like, deep information, right? So, like, we, we've become shallow in our thinking or our ability to think, right? Like, we rely so much on the machine now to do the thinking for us that we have lost our way. And here's the thing, like, it can't, like, your phone can't get you closer to God, right? Like, you can't be like, Siri, tell me something super special that the Holy Spirit couldn't tell me. And then, boom, all of a sudden, now you've got this deep insight into who God is, right? Like, this is one area when it comes to knowing who God is that there's no shortcuts to that, right? So, like, as... as like history has progressed as these ideas have come out, and as like I, I think people people um, have have begin to to be shall, more shallow in their thinking and in their pressing into things. So too, I think that the dangers of these things where we elevate like God is a God of love, and we we forget all all else that God is, as though that's all that He is. Right? So like and, and again, like the the future danger of that is that we fail in being able to even understand events like the cross adequately, right? Because if God is a God of love only, right? And I would say that you couldn't even understand what it means for God to be a God of love only and, and not be able to like properly address justice and, and wrath because like if he's a God of love, then he loves the he loves the ones who are mistreated, right? As much as he loves the one who's mistreating. So like how do we explain that he allows that, 
right? Like, how do we wrestle with those deeper kind of apparent conflicts if we can't dig into the full character of God? Because the answer's there, right? Like, it is true. We just need to be able to think about it and consider it and dig into it uh, a little bit better. Um, these type things go, go on and on and on. Um, there's one in particular that's kind of one like false teaching that's come out um, here in kind of the, the, the modern era of the church. Um, that that's been addressed. Like this is one that there's a particular event that happened um, in the in the 60s where this was addressed in the Baptist faith and message. This idea. Um, so I want to I want to bring this out. So the idea is called is is known as open theism. This is a relatively uh, recent like manifestation of a false understanding of the knowledge of God. Right. So when we think about what does God know? Does God God know all things? Open theism would state that he does not, right? That he it would state that he cannot. So open theism would say that because men are free, God cannot know, cannot know the actions that they would take, right? Like like at its core, that's what open theism would say. It would say that the future is literally open because God does not know. What's going to happen? He does not know because you are so free that he does not know what actions you will take. So he can't know the future. Immediately we should see a hundred issues with that, right? Like God makes prophetic like statements that come true hundreds of years after after the fact. So he's not playing like he's not getting lucky. He's not rolling dice in that regard and hoping that it comes up right. Right. So yeah, exactly, exactly. So like, so so, but open like this. The statement that open theism would say is that man's free will supersedes the knowledge of God and supersedes the sovereignty of God in such a way that God can't. Like, we would be adding to like it. They would add to that category of things that God can't do. Like, like God can't deny Himself. God can't lie. God can't know the future is what they would say. Right, it, there's 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 significant concern, but this came about, right? This came about, and and in the Baptist faith, the message. Um, so, um, the Southern Baptist Convention, in its rewrite of 1963, the Baptist faith and message changed the wording of its doctrine of God with the addition of the of of one sentence, and and here here's what it is. Um, this one sentence. Um, it affirms the exhaustive divine foreknowledge. It says, He is all-powerful and all-knowing, and His perfect knowledge extends to all things, past, present, future, including future decisions of His free creatures. Right? Including future decisions of His free creatures. So, this is a this is one example of kind of a, 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 a something that's happened in modern times. I think uh, probably influenced in many ways by our um, lack of of deep thinking. But but I would even like I would say that the the 1960s and these developments that happened leading up to there, like things have as far as our lack of pressing deep into things. That's only only. Um, expounded on itself many times over since the 60s. Like we're we're much more worse off in our ability to press in and think deeply now than they were 
then. So like, like I think that, that should, there should be some warning in that for us um, to be careful not to fall into that area of like we've become so accustomed to information being so easy to gather that we become lazy in our, um, in our pressing into deeper thoughts about who God is, right? Um, so we'll, we'll kind of we'll, we'll end with that. Um, I'll dismiss this in, in prayer.